Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another exciting penguin edition of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Folks, we're just going to cut to the chase. Today, we have the very famous Penguin Lady. That is correct. We have Penguin Lady Dylan DiNapoli. She's a penguin expert, a TED speaker, an author of an award-winning book called The Great Penguin Rescue, which she talks about basically helping rescue 40 thousand penguins from an oil spill in South Africa. She's been a guest speaker on multiple Nat Geo expeditions to Antarctica. I mean, she is like the penguin guru. And you'll hear me actually tell her this in the interview, but I looked up some of the most searched, you know, terms regarding on my website or when people go to like Google and, you know, search for the podcast, people were searching penguins to the max. And it struck a chord with me and I was like, oh my goodness, like, you know, I've talked about penguins before, but we haven't had a full episode on penguins. So that's That's why we are having the Penguin Lady on the show today. I'll tell you what, I, you know, I love doing the show and you know this if you're a fan of the show and you listen to episodes because I love to hear people's backstories. Um, I love to find that inspiration. I mean, we see people for, for those of us who love animals and, you know, we obviously work with animals or maybe for those who want to work with animals, we see people who have these dream jobs, you know, I mean, and, and I do the same thing. I look at people you know, who, you know, work at certain zoo jobs. And I'm like, man, they have a dream job. Or I'll look at Jack Hanna or the Irwins and be like, man, that's a dream job. And I love hearing people's backstories. And I love hearing, you know, how they got to where they are. And that's why I love the show. And that's why I like to feature unique individuals. Dylan, the penguin lady, I mean, she really is inspirational. I mean, as you will find out, she decided to make a big life change in her early 30s. And she decided to drop everything and start working with penguins and volunteering. And it basically wound her up to become the penguin lady and her message has been seen by millions of people once again i told you she's an award-winning author she has you know spoken at many ted conferences and she really just followed her passion and her dreams and for any of you right now who listening to the show who maybe are struggling, I don't know if you're struggling in school, uh, you know, maybe trying to get through those tough chemistry classes, those math classes, those bio classes. Sometimes you guys, they suck. Trust me, I've been there. I've done it. They're hard. Um, or for anyone who is applying for jobs right now and maybe you're not getting a response back and you're just like, oh, is this meant for me? Listen to the interview. It's very inspirational. And if Dylan can do it, she's lived. I mean, anyone can do it. And I say that in a good way, like anyone has the opportunity to chase their dreams and to see what could happen. I mean, what is the worst that could happen? Think about it. You know, if you don't try, like at least, you know, you just shoot for your dreams, at least try. Of course, you'll also learn a ton of interesting penguin facts during this interview. For instance, do penguins have knees? Do penguins live in the South Pole? Are penguins only found in cold areas? Just kind of answer those questions in the back of your mind. You actually will be shocked by the answers to these questions. So a lot of great information. Before we get started, as always, make sure to subscribe to the show and please leave a rating. It, uh, you know, I always bug you when you message me on Facebook or, or my Instagram, you'll be like, oh, I love the show. And it's like, oh, that's great. But can you please like, say that in a review. And the reason why is apples, the, um, the apples, (laughs) the reason why is apples, not the fruit, but the company Apple will actually use those reviews. And the more reviews I have for the podcast, the algorithm will actually favor the podcast and it will be shown to more people who are searching for animal related podcasts. And we want to get that content out there. We want to get these people's stories out there. We want to get great information about animals out there and spread the message of, you know, wildlife conservation and highlight these people who are dedicating their lives to them. So please leave a review, uh, leave a rating on whichever podcasting platform you listen on. Also, if you want more behind the scenes, as always, make sure to follow me on my Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. My tag is just at Corbin Maxi, and I will put the links in the show notes. Okay, with that said, I hope you enjoy my interview with Dylan DiNapoli, the Penguin Lady. And welcome to the show. I, first of all, I'm so excited. We have the penguin lady on the show today, Diane. Oh my God. (laughs) I just, 
<laughs> to Napoli. Hold on. Okay, so we have the pink. Okay, I'm just going to keep on going. That's just how okay. the show is. Uh, <laughs> Diane DiNapoli on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You know, and I'll tell you what. So the this is kind of how I found you. I So I went to my website, corporatemaxi.com, and I looked at like all the analytics and like what people use to like find the podcast. And guess what the number one search term is when people are looking for my podcast? I have no idea. Penguins to the max. Really? <laughs> yes. Over the Today Show, over Penguins to the Max. And I thought, oh wow. my gosh, wait a second. I have never, I mean, I've I've worked with penguins, but we've never had a penguin expert on the show. So I literally went to Dr. Google and was like, penguin expert. And the penguin lady, you came up. And I'm just, yeah, so that's how I found you. And I was just blown away by watching your TED Talks and your credentials. And that's, yes, yeah, so that's how I found you. Wow. Well, thank you. Um, that's really cool to know. I gotta. I have to Google that now. <laughs> I know, right? Or start, <laughs> yeah. Or start a podcast. So, the, I mean, let's yeah. just take me back. So, the Penguin Lady, I mean, you are a Penguin expert, a TED speaker, a world-famous author. I mean, you have tons of experience. I mean, my goodness, like, where do we begin? <laughs> uh, well, so it only, it started in my 30s. So I always say I'm like a late bloomer. This was sort of almost an accidental career in a way because my dream from the age of five was to work with dolphins. I was obsessed with dolphins. Like birds and penguins were never even on my radar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was sort of this back of my mind. I didn't know how I could possibly make this happen. And so I just sort of forgot about it because it seemed like a fantasy job. Mm -hmm. And finally, uh, for my 30th birthday, my parents gave me an Earthwatch expedition for a 30th birthday present, which are these, you know, vacations, essentially a working vacation. You go and you assist some doctor connect, collecting their data. And so I chose to go to Hawaii for a month to work with dolphins. And when I was there, it was like the happiest, most glorious month of my life. I'm like, I have to pursue this dream. Like it just came all flooding back. I'm like, I, I have to try. It seems totally unrealistic at this point in my life, but I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and regret that I didn't at least try to pursue this crazy dream. So I went back to college and then during that, my senior year was all rotations and I had a four month full-time rotation at the New England Aquarium in Boston and I did it with the penguins. And so that was how the whole penguin thing started. I was, I think, 34 or 35 when I first worked with penguins. Wow. So, okay. So hold on. So what were you doing for a career before you went to Hawaii for your 30th? Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, I was a ski bum, a waitress, a silversmith. Um, a silversmith? I've never had a silversmith yeah. on the show. Really? <laughs> I, I made and sold jewelry for eight years. And actually, that was part of what brought me to what I do now. Because for the last few years, I, I always have loved animals, was always concerned about endangered species, wanted to do something to help. But like, what could one person do, right? And I finally, I created a line of endangered species jewelry and I donated 25% of the proceeds to environmental groups. And after doing that for a while, I'm like, this is nice, but I feel like I want to do something more tangible to help animals. So it was sort of this confluence of things that came together to kind of set me on this path to, to where I am today. That is incredible. And I'm so happy. And that is a really good point because we have a lot of listeners who listen to the show, but I mean, of just all different age ranges. And some people are, you know, are like, oh, I'm just, I'm too old to pursue a dream. I'm not in my twenties anymore. And I mean, you were in your thirties and you were like, you know yeah. what? I don't want to die. I, well, I, obviously no one wants to die, but you don't, you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to get old and be like, why did I not pursue that? Right. Exactly. I didn't want to have that regret because I, when I thought of, you know, I've sort of, put myself in the shoes of me at 95 or on my deathbed. And I thought, how would I feel at that moment if I didn't at least try? And I'm like, I don't want to have that feeling. I don't want to have that regret. So wow. it was, it was kind of crazy. I mean, there were no guarantees it would work, you know, and, and what's been the most surprising though was it didn't end up being dolphins. It could have, I did work with dolphins briefly, but it wound up being penguins and because of that, it just sort of led to all these amazing experiences and adventures and even the opportunity to help save a species that I never could have predicted. 
You know, so you brought up another great point is a lot of people who pers- who you know want to get into the you know zoo field or you know want to work at an aquarium, they go for a particular species and then they wind up in some section and they fall in love with an animal they never would have thought of. And that is uh, you're a perfect example of that. I mean, yeah. so you so you never thought penguins. You never you always <laughs> were like my mind is on the dolphin. Oh yeah, I I was never into birds. Like you know, I was I was a mammal person, and and you know people always assume oh you must have been a crazy bird lady penguin obsessed. You know I'm like no, I never even really thought about them, um, and so it was a surprise. I I you know I, but really that first day of my internship at the aquarium, you know I get into a wetsuit, I climb into this freezing cold water you know chest deep water exhibit at the New England Aquarium. I'm suddenly surrounded by 65 honking and braying squawking penguins, and I'm captivated. I was like these guys are kind of interesting. And, and I think what sort of uh, really caught my attention and interest was very quickly realizing that each one of them had a very unique and distinct personality. That even though they're a colonial bird and they all look alike, you think they're all alike. It's like, no, each one is really an individual. And so I just wanted to kind of stick around and learn more about them. And that's sort of how it started. Wow. And so now were you also working with cetaceans at the New England Aquarium or dolphins at the New England Aquarium? Or no. just penguins? No. Just the penguins. I was in the penguin department. And you, yeah. were, you were just there to like get experience, I'm assuming, to, you know, maybe pursue a career working with marine mammals and you just wound up with the penguins. Well, I was actually in the pursuit of a Bachelor of Science degree in animal science. I was okay. training to be a veterinary nurse. And so the senior year of that was all on-site full-time rotations. So I was there five days a week, 40 hours a week, well, more than 40 hours a week, because you work more than 40 hours a week when you work at a zoo or an aquarium. Uh, and, uh, and so it was part of my, my education, and I needed that to graduate. But then when I did graduate, I stuck around as a volunteer. And this is something that's really key if any of your listeners are interested in working in zoos or aquariums is you really need to stick around and stay, you know, top of mind, like be there, work hard, show them you've got a great work ethic, um, show your passion and, and be visible, like stay, don't just leave when your internship is over because yeah. most of those positions go to people who are currently volunteering wow. and have been volunteering for a long time. Were you, um, I mean, I don't take this to offense, but one of the oldest volunteers there. <laughs> no, I mean, I, this, yeah, I just realized what I just said. I was like, this is awful. And you're not old. Like, but I'm just, no, but you I, know what I mean, though? Yeah. Yes, I, I okay. was actually, I was not the oldest volunteer. The oldest volunteer at the time was Erling Torgelson. Love the This name. delightful guy. <laughs> from oh, yeah. It's great, thick accent. And he was really funny. And he was... In his 80s, he would never tell us how old he was. He never gave up his actual age, but we know he was somewhere in his early 80s. Um, so I was not the oldest, uh, but I definitely was, you know, in that range of being one of the older volunteers for sure. Wow, that yeah. is amazing. I, You know what? I, when I was 15, volunteered at my local zoo, and I remember the penguins were my favorite. Yeah. I just, I loved it. And I know this sounds weird, but I love the smell of like the, <laughs> the fish. Isn't that weird? Are you the it same is. way or are you like, no, I mean, I'm not like nasty rotten fish, but I mean the smell of like Dethine smelt or like capelin. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. It's really funny because one time another Norwegian older friend tried to give me herring on a cracker for an appetizer. Oh. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's penguin chick food. Like, I can't do it. I'm like, try to be a grown up and taste it. And I went, oh, I can't. Um, but the smell that a lot of us actually often talk about that we do miss is not so much the the exhibit and the guano and the fish, but the the chick down. Oh. That, I don't know if you've ever been around a penguin chick with all that, that downy feathers that they I have. I haven't. I mean, just briefly, but I haven't had that in-depth experience. Ooh, okay. And there is a certain smell. It's unlike anything else anywhere. And, and it's just a very unique, identifiable scent that all of us that have raised baby penguins kind of pine for. Oh my gosh. So what did you, what surprised you the most when you started working with penguins? I mean, minus the fact you're like, oh, they all have personalities. What else just surprised you for anyone who like maybe wants to work with penguins or wants to wonder what is that like? I, well, besides, so certainly the fact that they were very unique individuals surprised me. Um, oh, there was something else that just came and went out of my head. Um, I just, I just blanked out. No worries. Uh, I do it all the time. <laughs> I know. The fact that they were, were unique individuals. Um, 
Oh, the fact that they weren't all as cute and cuddly as they would seem to be. <laughs> I think a lot of people have the misconception like, oh, they're adorable and cute, and they will bite the crap out of you, and it hurts like you wouldn't believe. Uh, they have very, very sharp beaks. You probably know. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I have been bit numerous times by penguins, and it hurts. I mean, they're like love bites, but my and they get on to you, and yeah. Oh. Yeah. At what species were you working with? So um, at the local zoo, Mangelinic penguins. And then um, when I do the Today Show, I work with my friends, usually at the Turtleback Zoo, with Aurora, the African penguin, who is like, (laughs) who is like my favorite penguin in the world. It was so funny. I'm so used to Aurora. And then we just did a segment a few months ago on Watch What Happens Live. And long story short, uh, Aurora couldn't come because she was, I think she was nesting or she was with her boyfriend or something. So they brought another penguin. I was like, who's this? Like, I was like, oh, I mean, he was like nice, but it just didn't, you know what I mean? It was just funny how they're all individuals. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so African and Mangelinic. So then you know, because those those species have that razor sharp beak on the side and then that hook that fits into the slotted tip on the bottom, right? And they bite and twist and grab. So you get a cut, a welt, and a bruise. Yep. So yeah. Sure the do. the fact that they're pretty ornery, you know, they can be they can be very mean and nasty and you know, so not all cute and fluffy and adorable. Yeah, that's funny. Okay. So how do you go from volunteering at the New England Aquarium? to becoming the penguin lady and i mean this is insane like did you ever want to like speak to groups or i mean like did you have this vision of like i want to raise awareness take me through that process so the crazy part is that prior to working at the new england aquarium i had a lifelong paralyzing fear of public speaking like i couldn't even do an oral report in school i would be my entire body would be shaking my throat would close up terrified of public speaking terrified really yeah oh really you would not know that i was just watching your ted talks and i I am not blowing smoke i was like you're a very good speaker i mean very relaxed comfortable like you own the stage like i would have had no idea that you were terrified of speaking well thank you for that and i think what happens is once you find something you are passionate about and very knowledgeable about it becomes much easier to talk right because you want to tell everybody And so it was a slow evolution. But what happened was I knew this job that I wanted at the New England Aquarium required a lot of public speaking. And I almost didn't apply for it because of that part of it. You know, it was it was animal husbandry, but it also was public education. And I and I almost let that public speaking part stop me from applying for the job. I said, no, I want this too much. I just have to push through that fear. And so in the beginning, when I was doing these presentations twice a day from the penguin exhibit, I sort of had a script, so I had a memorized script, you know, and, and okay, I got the script down, and I can do that, and, and I just kind of would get through it, and then over time, as I got to know the penguins better and, and started studying more about them and learning more about them and becoming more passionate about them, then I could just start ad-libbing, and then eventually it was just, I just get out there and start talking and answering questions, and it, it eventually became fun to do. And so, as you said, my mission now, when I left the aquarium, I started my company, The Penguin Lady, to go out and teach kids and adults about penguins. And so my mission is to raise awareness and funding to protect penguins. And so I donate a portion of my proceeds to penguin conservation groups. So, you know, now I, I enjoy the public speaking and I enjoy sharing, you know, what I've learned with people and also inspiring other people to pursue what they're passionate about, because that's sort of been a side outcome that I didn't really anticipate from what I do is I keep getting asked to sort of share my story and as sort of an inspirational uh, model to other people of, hey, you know, do what you're passionate about. Life is short. Like, do it. Don't don't think you can't, you know, just push through the fear and do it. I love this. And you said several value bombs. I just want to go back because a lot of people or maybe young people who want to or I guess people of, of any age who want to work with animals, some people assume like, you know, I'm not a people person. I don't like the public. So I'll go work with animals and then it'd be mm-hmm. great and I'll have a dream career. And you hit a, a big value bomb is like it's actually the opposite. Like they're looking yeah. for someone who has people skills and the and the whole public speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I it's true. I think a lot of people who love animals do not have the natural people skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel fortunate. I, I have some of both. You know, I might not have enjoyed public speaking, but I was put in a managerial position. I had no 
prior training in that, but I sort of cut my teeth at the aquarium at that. And, um, and so you do have to sort of have both, you know, if you want to work with animals and if you're going to be say, even a veterinary technician, you know, you're, you're dealing with clients all the time. So you do have to develop those skills, even if they don't come naturally to you. Yeah. And I love how you said when you finally found something you were passionate about, it just, it just turned, it wasn't, you know what I mean? Just turned into a conversation. I, I think that's so yeah. awesome. And I, I, can I tell you a secret? Yeah. I am not good at scripts. Like, <laughs> I am like, I had to audition once for the Disney channel and it was just a complete nightmare. I screwed up everything and I had to like, it was awful. It was like, and I, I wish I had the tape. It was like years ago, but it just was like, I just bombed in front of this casting director. And mind oh. you, the day before I was just on the Today Show talking about animals, but like things I knew about and I was passionate about. But I remember I had to read a script about some movie called Frankenweenie and I couldn't keep my face straight. And I was like... Anyway, I'm with you on that though. And I want listeners to know, like, you don't have to be great at reading scripts or this and that. You just find something you're passionate about and just, oh, I love that. And share it. Yeah. Share it with people. Yeah. yeah. And share it. So, but I still want to know, like, was there one incident and you kind of hinted at this in a Ted talk when you were at the New England aquarium about an oil spill that really sparked mm. really some interest and really gave birth to maybe you having a bigger vision than just working at the aquarium? Yeah. Yeah, it, it did. So, so in 2000, there was a ship named the treasure that sank off the coast of Cape town, South Africa. And when that happened, there were 20,000 African penguins that were covered with oil. Another 20,000 that were moved out of the path of the oil slick just before it hit their breeding Island. And so I was sent to South Africa, uh, with a team of seven other penguin experts from the United States. We were the first U S team to arrive, um, as penguin experts to help train and supervise all of these completely inexperienced volunteers who had shown up. And uh, the day after we arrived, two of us were put in charge of a room that had over 4,000 oiled penguins in it. Wow. Over 250 volunteers a day to train and supervise. Um, and it was the world's largest animal rescue ever undertaken. It still stands as such to this day. Wow. And it was also the most successful. So in the end, we saved 95% of those 40,000 penguins. 40,000. 40,000, which is really miraculous and could not have happened without those volunteers. There were 12,500 volunteers who showed up to help us. 12,500 people? 12,500. Now, you mentioned something in your talk where a scientist mentioned, you know what, if a bird has been affected by an oil spill, we should just euthanize them. They have no chance. Right. Yes. And so one of the big myths about oiled birds is that they're not going to survive. So why bother putting all that effort into, you know, washing them and rehabilitating them? And the other myth is that if they do survive, they're not going to live very long and they're, and they're not going to breed again. Now, to put it in context, that is true for some species. So for grebes or there are, you know, songbirds or a lot of birds who can't deal with the handling uh, that, you know, if they are oiled, their kidneys, everything sort of goes to heck in a handbasket. Um, and so they don't breed again or they die. But with penguins, with pelicans, with gulls, there are a lot of birds that are very hardy and can withstand all of that handling. And so we know actually from long-term monitoring of these penguins of the 20,000 that were oiled, that they lived just as long as their never oil counterparts and bred almost as successfully. They had like a one to two year gap after being released, you know, where their breeding was off by about 11%, but that's probably because they were all separated from their mates. So they either had to refine their mate or pair up with someone new. And usually the first year of breeding with a penguin with a new mate, they're not always successful. So it mm -hmm. takes a year or two to get it right. Um, so, but we know that, you know, they've lived as long, they've bred as successfully. So it certainly underscores the validity of, of rescuing these animals when they're oiled. Has that scientist since reached out to you and said, you know what? I apologized. I was wrong. You know, I feel really badly in hindsight about putting her name on there. She has not. Um, you I, know, the, I loved okay. it. You like called her out like a boss. This I, lady here said, <laughs> said these birds I, can't survive. And you know what? I disagree. And this is why I loved it though. I was like, heck yeah. Like let's. <laughs> I 
I mean, I feel badly about that in hindsight for two reasons. So one is I've been interviewed a lot in the press, and I know the press so often misquotes you, right? (laughs) And I just wasn't thinking about that, I think, when I, you know, got this quote. And and the the people at TEDx Boston, they're like, no, use your name. I'm like, really? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But afterwards, I felt kind of badly about it because I know you can be misquoted in the press all the time. You know, Um, and no, I have not heard from her and I have not reached out to her, but maybe I should. I don't (laughs) know. I'd leave it alone. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny, though. That's funny. But that's incredible. I didn't realize it was the largest animal rescue to date. Over Mm 4000 birds, over 12000 volunteers. So let's just talk about the African penguin, because a lot of people many people don't even realize that they're endangered of extinction. And in your Ted talk, it blew my mind. I'm sorry. I'm taking all my notes here, but um, you said that unless we take action, the African penguin can go extinct in less than 10 years. And that Mm -hmm. fact just was like, what? And they're not the only species that is at such close ri- ri- uh, risk for extinction. So the African penguin population has declined by 99% over the last century. Oh, my God. Okay. So in 1900, there were about 3 million of them. Today, there are about 50,000, about 18,000 pair. Um, There's 50,000 left? Yeah. Well, here, if, if we want to really get startled oh, no, by statistics yeah. the galapagos penguin there's only about 1200 left are you serious yeah 12? and the yellow eyed yep 1200 about 12 to 1500 and with the yellow eyed penguin about 2500 to 3500 so a lot of penguin species what? their populations have been crashing over the last 50 to 100 years um 14 of the 19 penguin species are currently listed as vulnerable, near threatened or endangered. So we're looking at sort of a global um, decline in penguin populations that is pretty startling. And, you know, they are an indicator species. And so when we see their populations declining the way we are, it's sort of this red flag, you know, warning us like, hey, you know, our environment is in trouble. You know, clearly that's what's impacting us. So. Um, it's sort of, they're, they're warning us about the health of the ocean. Yeah. And I remember at the end of your Ted talk, you were like, well, why care about penguins? It's like, I'm sitting here thinking who would not care about penguins? Like penguins (laughs) are awesome. But I love, you said that, you know, I love this. You said penguins are dying. Our oceans are dying. And Mm -hmm. that's why we should, we should care. Yeah. And, and even, you know, we should, and, and that ultimately will impact humans as well. Yeah. You know, if, if if ocean health just, you know, goes in the crapper, that's going to impact human health ultimately as well. So, you know, for self-serving reasons, we should care even. If if we can't care about the animals and the environment, you know, you have to kind of trace it down the line and see that ultimately we are going to be impacted as a species as well. So what is happening? Why are 14 out of the 19 penguins either vulnerable, threatened, or endangered? Number one threat um, to penguins today, what, what most you know, penguin researchers believe the number one threat is, is global warming, is climate change. And it is impacting different species in different ways, but the primary impact is that it's, it's uh, impacting their food source. So okay. either, say if it's Antarctic species, the krill that most of the penguins in Antarctica eat that their nursery, the krill nursery, is underneath the surface of the ice shelf that forms during the Antarctic winter. And the algae that grows on that is what the larvae feed on. But when there's less ice formation, there's less, there's less of a nursery. So there's less krill. Um, in other areas, in warmer regions, you know, say up in the Galapagos penguins or even for the African penguins, what happens with global warming is it shifts the cold water currents where their food is. Because the cold currents are more nutrient rich. So there's yeah. more, you know, fish and squid and krill, whatever the penguins like to eat there. But the the warming shifts and moves those cold water currents further away from the penguins' foraging breeding grounds. Um, and so, for example, you asked about the African penguins specifically earlier. One of the things that happens with them is that, say, during breeding season, when they're trying to raise chicks, what used to be a half day or a one day foraging trip out to the feeding grounds to go get a 
you know, belly full of food and bring it back and regurgitate it for the chick is now a three-day foraging trip. Because wow. they have to swim so much further to get food. So is that chick going to survive those three days without food? You know, maybe not. Uh, so they actually did a, an experimental closure of the fishing grounds around one of their main breeding islands and found a 40% um, reduction in energy and time spent away from the chick and from the island. Wow. So based on that, they now, you know, are establishing these marine protected areas um, and they've been doing this, uh, the Ross Sea in Antarctica, they managed to do that last year, mm. and different places around the world where we have issues with penguins um, and other animals mm -hmm. uh, that rely on the ocean for their food source um, with protecting those areas. Wow. That is just, it's so alarming. And also, obviously, oil spills are mm -hmm. having an effect. Uh, overfishing. Which, yes, I mean, that's number two would be, yep, overfishing of both their food source, right? They're, they're yeah. in competition with the fisheries for the same food items and also getting caught in fishing nets, um, mm. you know, that, that they get trapped in fishing nets. Um, and, and then just you have the whole bycatch issue as well, you know, which is a larger issue. But so much of what these commercial fisheries are scooping out of the ocean is just thrown back into the ocean dead. It's not even used. Hmm. Oh so you just to to work out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so what is your goal? Like, I mean, so this is all. Man, I feel like my podcasts have been so depressing lately. Like, I just <laughs> released the giraffes, a silent extinction. Uh, but what? I mean, is there hope? I, you know, I think there's always hope, and I, Jane Goodall who is my Shiro, you know, lifelong hero. <laughs> I like that Shiro. Okay, she's my Shiro. I mean, she always, I, I've admired her since I, you know, was a little, little, little girl. And I still do, you know, still in her 80s, she, she travels the globe over 300 days a year, you know, talking to kids, talking to diplomats, talking to world leaders, you know, encouraging us all to not just protect the chimps, but protect the environment. Um, and, and she, you know, says there's, she believes there's still hope. And I think, you know, when I look today at the youth Greta Thunberg, you know, oh, and, yes. and, oh, so inspired. Right. And, and I think the, one of the really wonderful things about social media is that it connects the youth of the world and it mobilizes them and catalyzes them and, and, and empowers them in ways that we didn't have that ability when we were that age, because we didn't have, at least I didn't, I didn't have the internet when I was that age. Neither did I. And, I mean, I mean like a portion of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do see the positive impact of that because it has allowed these global movements and these kids to come together and start these organizations and start nonprofits and start movements and fundraising and, uh, spreading awareness. And so I really, I look at some of these young, a lot of these young people today, and I'm super inspired by them. And and they, I have faith in them, you know, like I, I know they feel empowered to make a difference in the world in a way that I think a lot of us, my generation, we didn't feel empowered as children. Um, and so I really, that gives me a, a ton of hope for the it, future. It does. And you brought up a great point with social media. Like that is a great plus of social media is being able to reach so many people and mm -hmm. to, and people have access to like information now long gone are the days where it just only a few media outlets would give us information. Now people are awake, you know, are awakening to like, what, you know, <laughs> like, well, I mean, what's going on? I mean, even in Africa and, you know, you know, trophy hunting and people are just like waking up to like, this is, yeah, it, it's, it's unacceptable. Yeah. And right. Absolutely. And they're finding out about new species, finding out about penguins. Cause I, like I said, a lot of people don't know they're in trouble. And I think the outrage is good. It's important. <laughs> you know, you need it to, to kind of move you into action. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So excuse me. I have a frog in my throat. Um, okay. I'm good. Uh, so talk, okay. So you've been able to do some really cool things in your career being the penguin lady. So mm. I read your bio and you were hired to speak on a national geographic expedition to Antarctica. Yeah. Okay. First of all, can I get the name of your agent? Uh, second of all, <laughs> second of all, if they're looking for any entertaining reptile enthusiasts, please let them know. Uh, that is so cool. I mean, tell me a little bit about that. Cause that's an awesome gig. 
It's it was my dream gig, and I the agent is me. Um, <laughs> okay, good. Can you give I, me your card? I know. I've been thinking I probably should get a speaker agent, um, <laughs> but. I, uh, no, it was my dream gig. So when I left the aquarium, I left the aquarium at the end of 04. Mm -hmm. The oil spill was in 2000. I left at the end of 04 and started the Penguin Lady. Mm -hmm. And, you know, speaking to schools and libraries and universities. But my dream gig, sort of that in the back of the mind, like the dolphin thing, right, was, oh, I want to be a lecturer for Lindblad and Nat Geo someday. Didn't know how to make that happen. And here again is the beauty and power of social media. So about Five or six years ago, I went to a, a high school reunion. I'd gone to a prep school, so I wasn't like in the same town with all my high school buddies. And reconnected with this friend, and we got on Facebook together. And then uh, two years ago, I guess it was, he two or three years ago, he IM'd me and he said, hey, the Explorers Club of New York, we're doing a, he, he has a, like a design company. We're doing a party for Lindblad and Nat Geo. And I know this is sort of what you, you know, you're interested in. Would you like an invitation? I can get you in. I'm like, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I want to speak for them, you know? And so he said, great. So I came down to New York, went to the party. He's, he introduced me like to, to Jeremy Lindblad, who's the grandson of the founder of Lindblad. We spoke for like two minutes. And then the next day though, Jeremy friended me on Facebook. I'm like, he friended me. Yay. <laughs> so I, you know, great. And then we just kind of were on social media for a bit. And six months later, I had just gotten back from a trip to Antarctica with Homeward Bound, which is a leadership training expedition for women in science, three weeks in Antarctica. The, I think it was two days after I got home, I get an email from Lynn Blatt and Nat Geo inviting me to be a guest lecturer on, uh, on, on the ship going to Antarctica the next year. Is so that... I just yeah. got chills because I just could, I'm just pretending that happened to me. That <laughs> that is insane. Was it just like, was it one of those where you like reread the email like a hundred times? Like I can't even believe this. Like what? Oh, yeah. What like, am I doing here? Like are you kidding me? Like what? Jumping up and down in the living room and screaming and yelling and oh my god and oh yeah, yeah. I mean it just <clears throat> you know my parents had traveled with Lindblad several times. They uh -huh. were they were both they both gone at this point. Uh, yeah, they were both gone at that point. Um, but they both, and so I really actually kind of did feel, because I felt my dad so strongly on that trip to Antarctica just before I got this phone call. Like every day, I just felt him there with me. And I really, I mean, it sounds woo-woo, but I really think he kind of, he, he made that happen. Yeah. Uh, because two days later, I get the phone call. And I, because the whole time I was in Antarctica, I just kept thinking about how much he would have loved it there. Um, and I had had one gig before, 10 years ago, with a different company, a Chilean company, doing a speaking gig. Uh -huh. But, you know, it had been a, a long gap. So, yeah, so getting that phone, that email, and then getting on the phone with them, um, you know, had a great conversation with a woman who hired me. And she said that Jeremy, I said, how did you, you know, why did you hire me? Why did you contact me? And she said, oh, well, Jeremy gave us, you know, your name and suggested you as a speaker. So, so I went that next year, which was 2018 for a two week trip. And then last February, March, almost a month, it was a three and a half week to Antarctica, South Georgia Island wow. and the Falklands. We, we traced Shackleton's route wow. and I got to do the toast to Shackleton at his grave, which was, I'm a huge Shackleton fan. So it was so cool. Um, and, and South Georgia was unbelievable. I mean, millions of King penguins, um, just, yeah. A remarkable experience. Wow. And so you just go from someone who just decided to, you know, to pursue something in her thirties to being scared to public speak to, you know, <laughs> being a volunteer. And then to now you're speaking at an ex on an expedition to Antarctica for Nat Geo. That is incredible. You are, you know, we've had a lot of inspiring guests on the show, but your story truly is inspirational. I'm just, I love it. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> it's, I love it because, I mean, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's sort of surreal. I mean, and 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 because I could not have imagined it for myself. You know, I mean, I, I when I first started, you know, I'm like, well, I'm just trying to get into a school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I can't imagine how would I ever become a lecturer for them. But it's like with each sort of, you know, step you take, and each sort of level you get to, then you, it's almost like you give yourself permission to dream even bigger and to like, oh, maybe I can make that happen. Like I did this, so maybe I can do that. It was like the oil spill rescue that gave me the most unshakable 
belief in myself and my abilities because it was, I can't even describe how grueling and difficult it was. There like aren't words in the English language and, but we did it and we did it successfully. And, and I found, I learned what I was really made of in those rescue centers. And it was so much more than I even knew. And so with each of those sort of steps that you take and goals that you reach, it, it kind of, your world opens up further and further each time and your, um, what you can reach for expands as well. Yeah. And you are living proof that just one person can make a difference. You know, you've, I mean, that's just great. I mean, you've just spoke, your message has reached millions of people through your press, through your talk. It's just, it's really, really good. You should give yourself a pat on the back because you just, yeah, very, very, you're very, very inspirational. Okay. So we're nearing the end of our interview. Can you hit me with some fun penguin facts for our listeners to take home? Okay. Uh, so, all right, one of the number one questions about penguins, and I'm sure you've heard this one, is do they have knees? Oh, my God. So many <laughs> So we were, on a right? fa- we were on a Facebook Live. I was doing a People Magazine Facebook Live with a penguin from the Columbus Zoo, and everyone was like, do penguins have knees? Do penguins have knees? And we're like, wait, do penguins uh-huh. have knees? And we were asking, the, and the handlers were like, wait, and these were Jack Hanna's handlers, and they were like, hell, I don't know. Like, so- <laughs> So we found out no. So here's the, this is the, and the reason there's a lot of confusion about this is, is some books actually have it wrong. Oh, and you hear it. Yeah, I know. Right. Did did I get it right or wrong? I said, I don't know. What did you say? I said, no, it's no, really. Are they just higher? (laughs) Well, I'll have to let Jack's team know too. (laughs) You got to let his team know. They do. They, wait, they, wait are looks, they higher up? Are they higher up? Is that right? No, you know, oh, I should have had my skeleton with me. I've got a skeleton. Oh, skeleton. Oh, my God. I should have had that. <laughs> that would have been a great to... visual. Yeah, let's pre- kids meet the, yeah, oh, my God. Is it a real skeleton or a replica? It's a real skeleton. Oh I didn't even God. think to have that out. I should have had that with me. Can we have you on for a Halloween episode? <laughs> we, can, we can do that. I'll bring the skeleton and the stuffed penguin for kids, Halloween. remember the penguin lady? Well. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. So penguins so, have knees. Okay, go. They do have knees. Okay. Oh my they, god. They look like legless wonders because you know when you see a picture of them standing, it's just you know their body and these little pink feet at the bottom, right, or black feet. And the reason is that they always keep their knees bent at a 90 degree angle, okay. and so they're tucked up underneath. And so if you do, and I can send you some pictures if you want to insert or whatever. Oh but, no, I. Um, <laughs> I'm all about the knees. <laughs> but yeah, if you see a picture of a penguin like jumping and its legs actually are extended, you're like, oh, wow, they're they're They actually have legs because it doesn't even look like they have them. So it's because they always are at a 90 degree angle. Okay. And this is also why they waddle when they walk. OK, OK. So nice. If you like after we're done, if you squat and okay. you try to walk, you're going to waddle. Yeah. OK, that's a <laughs> yeah. really OK. Perfect. Okay, yeah. So that's. Degree. That would probably be the the number one uh, question that that I get, okay. and and also one of the other big myths about penguins is they are not. We know they're not at the North Pole, most people, but they're also not at the South Pole. Really? Let me clarify. Yeah, hold on. Wait a second. I'm okay. I'm learning about the knees here, but oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay. So yeah, yes. Please, please clarify. Okay. Okay. So, because a lot of times, again, in books, on TV, radio, South Pole, penguins at the South Pole, penguins at the South Pole. Well, think about where the South Pole is on the Antarctic continent. It's in the middle, right? Uh It's uh a thousand miles away from the ocean. Okay. So for a penguin to walk to the South Pole, it's going to take a few Uh, weeks. That's a tricky question, Miss Penguin Lady. Okay. 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 Yeah, that makes sense, though. So they're not at the South Pole. They are in Antarctica. They are in a polar region, right? Um, but okay. they're not specifically at the South Pole. So, you know, around the the coastline of the continent. And then the farthest in they'll go, the emperor penguin will walk about 100 miles inland on the ice shelf that forms during the Antarctic winter to breed. But oh. that's about as far inland as they get. Hit me with something else. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> I love, I'm uh, loving uh, this. Okay. Let me see. Oh, well, and they don't all live where it's cold. 
Oh, I mean, I, yeah. Okay, that's right. actually good. I, I know lot, you know because you've worked with the warm weather penguins. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. The majority are more in like temperate climates, right? Right, exactly. And and like the African penguin, what most people say, penguins in Africa? I never yeah, know. people like, are shocked. Yeah. They're totally shocked. They are, the, the African penguin is the only penguin on the African continent, you know, in, in South Africa and Namibia. But yeah, most penguins, only four of the 19 species regularly live and breed in Antarctica. You've got a few other, you know, you might find a couple other species that more like stragglers, but most of them are temperate. So yeah, most penguins live in much warmer climates. And and then you even have the Galapagos penguin, which is right at the equator. So yeah. truly a tropical species of penguin, which is shocking to most people. Yeah. You know, what's yeah. also shocking when they what? see a picture of the little blue penguin or the little fairy penguins, and they don't even think they exist. Like the cutest little <laughs> things I've ever seen in my life. I Aren't mean, they adorable? Oh, I mean, my, I'll, please, if you are not driving and you're listening to this, <laughs> Google fairy penguin or blue. I mean, I just, oh my God. Like, yeah. did you, have you gone to see them in the wild? Have you seen them in Australia or New Zealand? No. And I totally made it sound like I have. No, I've never <laughs> seen one in person. Oh, I've, just, <laughs> I've just, I've, I've talked to people who have, and it's just like, I've it just, I've learned a lot about them interviewing guests on the show. I've, I need to, have you seen the little blues? Yeah. Well, Is that yeah, they they call them? one of the species we raised at the New England Aquarium. Oh, yes. They're literally like not even as tall as my water bottle. They're, they're oh, yeah. maybe... They're like maybe that tall. They weigh two to three pounds, the smallest oh. penguin on earth, adorable. Yeah. And they have the widest range of vocalizations of the penguin species. And they're incredibly loud. Like when we would be diving in the giant ocean tank in the middle of the aquarium, which has foot thick walls and foot thick panes of glass, yeah. we could actually hear them screaming their heads off in the exhibit while we were diving. Oh so they're super, God. super loud and just really entertaining little penguin. Now, yeah, they're pretty cute. Were they one of your favorite? Like, what was your favorite to work at the aquarium? What, what were the little blues? The little, you know, they were the, the most aloof. They're not super uh, engaged with people. They're very really? Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, that's they good to very know. Personality. Very different personality. They're much shyer, more aloof. They really don't have much of a connection with, with the people that, you know, they work with or even that raise them. Okay. Uh, as opposed to the African penguins, which, you know, will try and mate with your forearm. I mean. That is so interesting. That's really good to know. Yeah. So there's even. Yeah. So I was saying how there's individual personality differences, but there's also species differences, sort of general personality differences between species yeah, yeah. So, so yeah the little blues were like my favorites and then this last trip to antarctica going to south georgia and being going and sitting at dawn on this beach with surrounded by hundreds of thousands of king penguins they became my favorite like <sighs> they blew my mind and they were they blew my mind how curious they were they have that like on my facebook penguin lady page my cover photo right now is a photo of uh, a king penguin there's three of them they kind of hang out in groups of three and they approach you because you can only get so close but if you sit down they can come over and he's nibbling on my camera lens oh, <laughs> like, this is my best moment of my life because yeah. they have no innate fear of humans like they haven't ev like why would they they ha haven't evolved to fear us oh my god was it hard like did you secretly like reach your little hand out and like you know what i mean like I wanted to. You can't. I didn't. I was so good. I mean, because you want really? to. Really? I, I mean, you are you are on camera though, so I don't want them to like take this to court and be like, <laughs> she said that she touched, but I would totally be no, like, no. oops. <laughs> no, I, I really, I followed all the rules. I didn't yeah. touch them. I it was so hard not to, um, but I really did. I followed the rules. But they, you know, like, nibbled on me. Like I had at one point when I was holding a different camera. I had my small camera at one point, and I was doing a little video, uh -huh. and this king penguin is like, you know, pulling on my finger. Um, oh. and then biting my boots and yeah, but no, I was good. I, I followed the rules. I've, uh, worked with King penguins at a facility briefly and my goodness, their size when you're used to like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. working with the little mandolins, it's like, Oh my God. Like, don't yeah. they, they come up to you, right? Like three, how tall are they exactly? They're about three feet high. Three feet. Yeah. About three feet. Wow. Yeah. Like, hip, you know, hip height, a little higher hip, hip, hip waist. Wow. Yeah, I'm five four. Yeah, so yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. So that is so cool. And really quick, what was, does it really stink as bad when you go to the penguin colony? Because I, I, I interviewed my first penguin, I guess an, an Antarctic researcher. And I was like, tell me what the first moment was when you went to South Georgia. And she was like, it stunk to I haven't. <laughs> I was like, what? They didn't mention this on March of the penguin. So is it as bad as she was saying it was? It, you know, it is. It's funny. I think because I've worked with penguins for so long, it's not the first thing I notice because I'm used to it. Okay. Probably if somebody hasn't worked with penguins as much, you know, that's probably the first thing. And I do remember going to Paulette Island a few years ago, um, you know, and that as we approached, because that had a huge Adelie penguin colony. They're in the middle of their breeding season. So they've been on their nests for a long time. So there's a lot of poop, a lot of guano everywhere. And I do remember as we approached Paulette being like, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> you can smell that from out at sea. It was really strong. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't even care. I would just soak it up like, ah, yeah. it's so cool. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't care. I'm yeah. sitting in it. I'm rolling in it. I'm, you know, lying yeah. on my stomach, taking pictures in it. Who cares? Like, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time. How can my listeners find you? And I'll also, I'll, I'll put like in the show notes, links and stuff, but uh, I'm sure you're on social media, website. Yeah, so my website is thepenguinlady.com. Okay. Uh, I'm on social media, Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter as The Penguin Lady. Okay. Um, my book, The Great Penguin Rescue, yep. is also available online. Um, yeah, and that's – that's. oh, and my email is diane at thepenguinlady.com. Diane spelled D-Y-A-N. But – That'll be, that's on the website as well. Okay. Thank you yeah. so much. And I'm serious. You should come back on in Halloween and we'll have a skeleton. Penguin. <laughs> I, I would love to. Thank you so much. This has been fun. Yeah, this has been so much fun. And we'll definitely connect on social media. And yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, I just had a great time and I love how inspirational your story was. So. Thank you very much. Thank I you. Appreciate it. All right. All right. All right. Talk to you later. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.